Welcome to the Dare to Pivot podcast, a resource for inspiration and encouragement while you're on your path to purpose. The Dare to Pivot podcast is hosted by Wakia Hayward, that's me, and Barbara Wade, two middle-aged sisters who are passionate about having honest, open conversations with each other and special guests about faith, transparency, and living a life of purpose. The Dare to Pivot podcast is rooted in the Christian faith, and we believe that we are all made for a reason and with intention. However, it's up to us to pursue our purpose. By exploring the four foundational pillars of DARE, which are decisions, actions, results, and evaluations, we're hoping that women will be motivated to actively pursue their own purpose journeys. Join us as we learn together that it's never too late to be great. Welcome everyone this week to Dare to Pivot. This is Barbara Wade. I am your host this evening, solo. Um, but just for tonight, I am going I to understand. do my very best to uh, uh, interview a very exciting young woman we have, uh, Justine Jarvis. She's coming to us with a uh, host of experiences and transitions, and she's super excited to share with us um, how she found herself in these places to make, uh, make pivots in her life, and she's had lots of successes, and so she's super excited about explaining that journey for us. So without further ado, Jacine, welcome to Dare to Pivot. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So I read um, wealth of information about you. And um, I said, man, this is going to be one of the, every week it gets better and better. And so I think this is going to be a very exciting conversation. And so other than um, I can say, I know you told me a little bit about your family. Can you bring everybody up to speed? How you, um, uh, all the roles you play and and some of the relationships you have as far as being a wife or a mother. Can you let everyone know who you are? Absolutely, absolutely. So I, um, I, I mentioned that I moved here when I was really young with my mom and my brother um, to New York. Um, I was born in New York, but was raised in the Caribbean. So we moved here when I was around 12, almost 13, um, and spent some time you know, going to middle school, high school, and college in New York and then have since moved to Maryland. So I've been in Maryland for about six years um, where I currently work at an outpatient mental health clinic in, in Baltimore City. I am a daughter, I am a sister, I'm a new um, auntie. My nephew is uh, two years old and I love him dearly. Not a wife or a mother as yet, um, okay. but I am, I'm a friend. Um, and so those are my roles and those are really, really important roles and roles that I hold pretty dearly. Absolutely. And you are a servant of God, no doubt. Um, reading your, <laughs> reading uh, your, your bio and the information you shared about the, uh, how you came to have a role at the outpatient uh, mental clinic. You mind sharing with our audience um, how you see that as just a uh, a, a passion and, and how you serve. Absolutely. 
So I was, as I mentioned earlier, I was living in New York and this was after I graduated college. I wanted to be a journalist initially, but soon found out that that really is not the course I wanted to take. So I prayed about it. Um, it took some time. I really, really prayed about it, asked God for what my next move should be. And I felt the pull to, um, to Baltimore. Um, I had a cousin who lived here at the time, so um, that absolutely worked out. Um, and I was able to transfer uh, my job here. Um, so God was literally moving in that, um, in that time of my life. Uh, when I moved here, I still did not know what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, so I was, I had, um, I was offered a part-time job at my now full-time job or so full-time placement. And as I was there, I was just getting to know um, the, the role of the mental health agency. I was literally working there part-time. I was, you know, doing paperwork, filing paperwork um, in the file cabinet. And soon after the, the manager asked me to interview for a full-time position. That was about six years ago. Wow. Um, and I, so I fell in love with the role of mental health. Um, yeah, I fell in love with that world. I grew in my position, but always had a love for the consumers that we serve. I see people coming in, looking for the help um, and leaving out, feeling better about themselves, feeling more sure about themselves. And I, I just love it. I love what I do. I love um, this world of mental health, especially in this community um, where there's a stigma around mental health. We don't really want to talk about it. We don't want to do it. But mm -hmm. I love seeing that there are people, Black men, Black women who are coming out and addressing those concerns that they have with their mental health. Wonderful. So my goodness. So you, you said you love this um, uh, population as well as the service. What component do you think you um, contribute to this environment. So it's your work environment, but I certainly hear that it's your heart as well. So, so what do you think it was, a, it's a, what's in you that makes it such a, such a fit between the population and the, and, and, and the work that gets done at this facility? Yeah, I, it's a really good question. I've, always had my reason for wanting to be a journalist was to give people the truth right to, to expose them to the truth and and they're able to make their decisions after that but okay. my role in, and in mental health i am administrator so i don't practice directly with consumers but i do um converse with them a lot i do have encounters with them mm -hmm. so that's so that is i think where my passion comes from right mm -hmm. wanting to, to get them to or assist them Mm -hmm. and getting to a better space in their lives, right. um, assisting them and, and sort of helping them get the tools that they need to get right. to a better space in their life. So I've always had this sort of innate desire to assist others. Um, and God has allowed me to do so thus far. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that, that is extremely interesting to me and I'll, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> so when you said expose people to truth and so in mental health, it is getting to the root of of a cause, mm -hmm. either you've chosen to cope in a certain method with something, you know, so it is getting to the truth. So you staying true to what you found out to be, you know, a valuable um, uh, component of who you are. And then in the administrative capacity in a mental um, 
uh, out, uh, mental uh, health outpatient setting, the administrative component is just as important as the clinical component. Because I realize in any type of, um, and, and I don't want to call um, healthcare a business, but unfortunately it is, there are lots of things that are available. But if you can't navigate the administrative component or you're apprehensive about even going for help for something, that can certainly be a major deterrent to even getting help. You know, if you're feeling judged, you know, or um, marginalized in how people treat you, then the clinical component never gets to the point where you never get to the point where it can actually help you. Um, So I I certainly want you to feel your value in the administrative component, Um, honestly, because if it's, if, if it's helter skelter, if it's intimidating, if it's just a hot mess, you know, anytime you walk into a place, you never get to the service, you know what I mean? And uh, so uh, we we do need folks with your passion to to provide the services and do it right. Thank you. Um, Absolutely. Um, It's it's, it's just a requirement. And, And I feel like I have an administrative gift as well. And I have just decided that, hey, what I, the structure I can bring to whatever this thing is, this place, it is valuable. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and, and um, so I, I applaud you for, for feeling your value in that. And I just affirm that um, I do think that's a huge component of why, you, of why your uh, particular facility is, is, um, is successful. And thank I'm you. sure I, that's that's what your director saw in you. <laughs> thank you. I um I I I always think that I do what I do so that the clinicians can focus on what they're doing, right? That's to awesome. really address the needs of the consumers directly. I do, you know, I do the behind the scenes stuff so they can focus on their work. So I thank you for, for saying that. Um, the, the folks behind the scenes aren't usually recognized. Not that we do it to be recognized, but I absolutely thank you for saying that. Oh, you're welcome. It is it is a strong component. Um, I think about that even with entrepreneurs, they usually have a, a creative gift or an idea and mm-hmm. it's the structured business administrative side. <laughs> that can yeah. be a difference between making or breaking a business. Absolutely. Um, and they could be perfect at what they create. It's just getting it to the marketplace, the person that can just persist and ask the right questions and structure things the way it needs to be structured. Um, all of that are, are valuable components of success. So um, I, I just applaud you for, for being that person for this facility. So let's go back. And I know you mentioned that your experience of coming to the U.S. was one of yes. your first, your first and biggest transitions. Yes. So, tell me that component, and I know you mentioned um, just the adjustment to community and culture. Yes. What was that like for you? Hi. So, um, so I, I mentioned previously that I, I was born in New York, and you know, as a, as a child, I would visit every summer. So that, you know, just the the environment of New York was not um, foreign to me. However, living here is a lot, well, living there was a lot different than visiting there. 
Hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, we moved here in 2004, the summer of 2004, and I transitioned to the eighth grade. Okay. Right? So that's the end of middle school, new school, completely new environment. Things were done differently in Antigua, right? right? right. We were, um, we're a British colony. So things are done very, very differently. So the structure that you mentioned earlier was not necessarily in a New York City public school. Mm. And that, that was just the biggest shock for me. Mm. I was going into class and, and, you know, kids at the time were not focused on work. They were being rude to the teacher, being rude to the substitute. And that was not something that I was used to right. growing up. So that, that was an absolutely big, big shock for me. And, and when I transitioned to the eighth grade, I was put in one class and then transitioned to another class because they, they felt like I would do better in that class. Mm. So, um, so for me, just, just not being able to have a core friends in the, in the West Indies, you sort of have a core, uh, so core friends who you sort of hang out with. You guys are usually in the same classes. That is your core. So mm. I was moved away from those friends had to make new friends at 12 years old, going mm. through other changes in my life, right? Right, right. I'm a teenager, <laughs> those are the years. Um, and also moving away from my family back home. So all of that happening at one time. And I, I guess I didn't realize it at the time because I was sort of in the moment. But now when I look back at it, that was sort of um, a defining moment in my life. Um, it yeah. definitely changed a lot of things, things for me um, at that time. You mind elaborating on just a, a couple of things? Absolutely. So, I um, at the time, my my parents. I lived with both parents in Antigua, but because my mom felt like my brother and I needed, you know, to be able to transition to the U.S. so that we could then go off to to college, mm-hmm. so that would be an easier transition for us. She moved here. She left her husband. She left her job. She did all that sacrificing and moved here for me. So. Mm-hmm. So I needed, so I knew in my mind that I needed to do well. I, I pushed myself to succeed mm-hmm. because I wanted my, the, the sacrifice that my mom paid to pay off. I didn't want it to be for naught. So, so I was more focused on that. Um, and I, you know, I left my father's, my father there. I'm a daddy's girl. So that was mm-hmm. huge for me as well. Right. Still daddy's girl to this day. He calls me his princess. So, <laughs> so I'm still as our father should. <laughs> I'm still a daddy's girl, um, but but of course, being away from him for that extended period of time, um, I understood why, of course, but as a child, I still missed my father. Mm-hmm. Um, so so for me, I think the drive was just, was just greater at that point in my life mm-hmm. because of the sacrifices that my parents made mm-hmm. um, to make sure that our lives were, were going to be better, better than mm-hmm. theirs. And they mm-hmm. always say that. They always say that, you know, I, I want to make sure that your life is better than mine. I want you to mm-hmm. focus on you and your life and doing better than I ever could imagine doing. So um, that's, that's really my goal in life. They are mm-hmm. my motivation. Wow. Wow. So how do, how do you manage that pressure as a teenager? Yeah. You know, and I, I know it definitely, it definitely feels like a, a heavy load but for me it felt like a privilege Mm. it felt like you know what I'm doing something for my parents you know I they did something for me so let me like and my parents have always said you owe me nothing 
you know, I decided to, to bring you into this world. I'm responsible for you. You're not responsible for me. So, you know, they did not put that pressure on me. I put it on myself. Right. It's because they were so um, selfless in their actions. So, wow. even, you know, I, I don't look at it as pressure. I just mm-hmm. look at it as, as a means of motivation. Okay. Okay. So do you think there's really a distinction um, between pressure and motivation it is perspective mm-hmm. or its motivation is more positive in that for this reason I'm going to do my best at xyz whereas pressure for this reason oh my god I can't possibly uh, uh, you know fail at doing this I guess glass half full glass half empty do you yeah. think do you think it's your outlook on life in general that mm-hmm. allowed you to use it as motivation as opposed to having a pessimistic perspective? I guess you could say that. Um, and I also, I also believe that that pressure is something that weighs you down as opposed to uplift you, right? Something that you're motivated to do. Like it, it, you want to do that when you wake up in the morning. It's something that you look forward to doing. It sort of uplifts you, right? I think, I think in my opinion, something that, that you feel pressured pressured by weighs you down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that that's that's my perspective of it it was something that I and is something that I'm privileged to do so it's it's more of a motivation to me than it is um something that weighs me down well talk to us about how to make that distinction ongoing in our lives um uh it certainly sounds like you know you you do motivate yourself based on the opportunity to to do great things i think some people may struggle on between motivation and pressure how would you advise someone in, in to make that distinction yeah so for me the the what i would ask myself because absolutely i've felt pressured by things in my life mm-hmm. right what i would ask myself is why am i doing this what is the reason for me doing this, mm-hmm. right? Is it so that I could feel better about myself or is it because I could gain this or that? Like, what is my expected outcome here? Mm-hmm. And if it's something if it's something that is not um, tied to, to, to my purpose or where I wanna go in life, it's something that I'm going to be, be feel pressured into doing, right? Mm-hmm. If it's something that, that is tied to my purpose, is tied to my calling, is tied to my next step. Mm-hmm. It is something that is going to motivate me. So I, I look at it that way. I, I really see the bigger picture. It's always like, for me, it's forward. I'm forward thinking mm-hmm. in a sense. So for me, I, I just look at what is this decision or this thing? Where is it going to get me um, mm-hmm. in the long run? Mm-hmm. And is this something that is tied to my purpose? and Mm -hmm. my destiny so you've used some great words there it sounds like (laughs) it sounds like you've taken some time to do some introspection and you've come up with the idea that you have a purpose um you've you've gotten to know what that purpose is you've accepted it you put a plan around it and then you allow that uh you you allow yourself the space to change and grow, but you have signals and signs that, hey, this either aligns with my purpose or it's not. 
And if I get that negative drag down feeling, then, hey, it's pressure because it's not an alignment. And mm-hmm. hey, no, this is exciting. This mm-hmm. is all part of part of the plan. Mm-hmm. So how do you stay on course with that? Do, do you ever get tempted to, but this thing is exciting. Hey, this is a shiny new thing that everybody else is doing. How do you, how do you stay on target with uh, things aligned with your purpose as opposed to maybe things that are just popular? Good question. Um, because you are right. We have the tendency to become sidetracked by what the world is doing as yeah. opposed to <laughs> what we are called to do. Right. Um, those two things are not the same often. So um, for me, I stay on track really, and the this is it's gonna sound really cliche, but really, <laughs> but this is how I really do it. Like I really stay focused through my relationship with God um, okay. and the word. Like he he focuses me anytime I, I sort of get off track, because I, I have done that. I absolutely have done that. He focuses me. He either sends people my way to folk to refocus me. Mm-hmm. Um, or he shows me, or he, you know, speaks to me and you know, refocuses me. So really my relationship with God has sort of been my driving force. Um, he is, he's the one who's led me to where I am. Like I would have never thought that I would have been in this field or in the position that I am right now, right? Like I believe that he does not call the qualified, he qualifies the call. So as long as I am, you know, and I, and I understand that as long as I am walking my life out the way that he ordained it to be mm-hmm. it is going to be in the path that he wants it to be in um so just just keeping that in mind is what keeps me focused on my path mm-hmm. versus the path and of the world and the things that the world is doing well that is wonderful and extremely enlightening <laughs> and i can honestly say it could be intimidating too for those of us that may recognize hey, I'm not quite there yet. You mind sharing um, a time where you know um, something you considered, mm-hmm. uh, but you were able to identify it wasn't in, in God's plan. It wasn't on your path. And, you know, he, he gave you that sign or signal. Hey, you know, I know I can tell you're interested, <laughs> but, but let's get real here and get back on path. It's, it's, just one occasion where you recall that happening? Absolutely. I had that uh, happen to me a couple months ago. So I do not want to, I don't want it to come across as if I have it all together. I do not. I am absolutely still working on this thing. I'm just grateful to God that he's, you know, he, he has, you know, given me the grace right. to still be here. So it's, it's an ongoing battle because there are times when you are on course when you're like you know what god i I don't feel like doing this i really don't like it's stressful um it's too much i don't i don't don't really want to do this let me look somewhere else right and then you know he 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 refocuses me so a few months ago i was um to the point of just burnout right like i was burned out like with covid um there were some some things going on at work. It, I was just really burnt out. And I'm like, Lord, I don't feel like doing this anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I don't. And I was, I was very confused as well at that point too. And what I, I, what I needed first was to really get away from my environment. So I 
I went on a little solo trip <laughs> to South Carolina. Wow. And I, I really like spent time with God. Hmm. I, li- I was in a hotel room by myself, just spent time with God. It was, I was, it was, I was there for it. And I know that everyone isn't able to do that. So mm-hmm. sometimes I just go into my room and just, you know, I'm, I'm in my word and really just sit with God when I feel I'm straying or it's just getting too overwhelming because usually when I stray from my path, it's, it's when life gets just too overwhelming for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's when I know I need to refocus. Um, okay. So really that is key for me. And it's an ongoing thing you know, that I'm trying to, I won't say perfect because I will never get to the, to the point of perfection. That is not my goal, but it's right. definitely that I'm constantly working on. Um, okay. So that's, that, that's awesome. You, you knew that solitude was a place to help you reset and refocus. Yes. And you were willing to take it. You were willing to do it. You didn't, you didn't run. Cause you know, you could have, um, found a very crowded beach (laughs) (laughs) and you could have said the last thing I'm going to do is be alone with myself because you know then the Lord started talking to me so you could have run the other way and said no (laughs) (laughs) but you know what I knew that I needed that for a while I had been avoiding it like for it had been months um and one it had gotten to the point where because sometimes for me, like God has to sort of like push me <laughs> in the right direction. Like I, I have to be, you know, chorus because I was a little stubborn about getting solitude. I was like, no, it's fine. It'll be fine. Of course, you know, in denial, thinking it's just right. going to change um, overnight. But I'm, I'm glad that he did. I'm really, really glad that he, he absolutely kept talking to me and, and using others to speak to me. And, and I'm really glad that he, you know, he gave me the opportunity to do that. Um, because it was absolutely needed. I, you know, came back just enlightened, came back just on fire, came back feeling so much different than I, than I was when I left. Wow. So I I do value those moments of solitude. Awesome. And so you just alluded to community. Other people Mm -hmm. told you. So we often speak about needing to have a, a squad or someone that truly knows who you are and they speak the truth into your life Mm -hmm. some of those people for you oh my goodness so a few years ago I did not have a squad I remember like I would have friends here and there but no one close enough to um to know me and to hold me accountable I remember a few years ago I just prayed to God that you know I would find the core group of women who would really hold me accountable and really I can walk this thing called life out with. And he has blessed me with some of the most amazing women. Like I have a really, really great girlfriend who <laughs> has, has been um, my friend for the last six years um, mm-hmm. since I moved here. She absolutely holds me accountable. She, she has no cut cards. She's going to say it like it is. Um, <laughs> sometimes a little harshly, but I need that sometimes. Um, and then he also sends me people who, who are able to sort of without knowing what the issue is or able to to pray for me mm-hmm. and understand that I'm going through something mm-hmm. so I, I have a you know and even through church I have a group, group of women who we meet um twice a month 
Okay. And we really just, you know, talk about God and really honest and transparent with one another, right? Because, you know, we all grew up with, you know, in church and, and we sort of had this idea that being a Christian means that you have it all together and you mm-hmm. lead this perfect life. But, you know, we come to each other with our issues, with our faults, with our sins, our shortcomings, and we really hold each other up in that, you know, we're able to be vulnerable with one another. So, so those are the people who I have in my life. Like God has absolutely blessed me with some women who show grace, who mm-hmm. show love, who are kind, non-judgmental, um, and, and absolutely hold me accountable. So I love my squad. <laughs> love and, and so I, I think you highly promote getting a squad then, huh? Absolutely. Everyone should have a squad, but I understand that sometimes we are, we're in different seasons of our lives. So, you know, you know, and you need to choose the right people to be your squad, right? Um, and you, it has to be, it has to be a very, very, um, careful process, so to speak. It, not everyone is for everyone, right? My, my, my ladies, they are, they are absolutely ideal for me, my personality and who I am. They may not be for someone else. So um, it's absolutely important to have a squad, but, but even more important to have the right squad because you can't tell everyone everything and you wanna be able to, to confide and trust in, in your squad. Um, so. I absolutely promote getting a squad, absolutely mm-hmm. getting a squad. Mm-hmm. And so for someone that has just, maybe you're like confirmation for them. Okay, God told me, my mama told me, you know, my boss told me, now Justine's telling me I need a squad. What criterion should they go through? Um, they might find that they're starting from scratch, you mm-hmm. know, because they don't have anyone right now they feel they can be vulnerable with. Or maybe they don't know anyone that they think is necessarily truthful. <laughs> um, or someone that's living a life that they would at least like to align themselves with. Mm-hmm. What criterion would you think, would you recommend um, they use to, to start building their squad? So, um, and this is from personal experience. I first needed to um, assess myself right, really assess myself, do some self-evaluation. And that is when the right people started coming into my life, right? Like I wasn't chasing people. Mm-hmm. The right people started sort of gravitating toward me. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you find that you're in a space where the people around you are not ideal for, they're not quote unquote squad material, mm-hmm. what, you know, maybe think about what circles are you in? You know, what circles could you immerse yourself in so that your squad could be ideal for you, right? right. For me, it was um, my church group. We have uh, city groups and I joined one of those and, you know, met p- part of my squad there. Another, my best friend met her through work. So there are different ways that you can um, you can meet your squad, but what are you, you know, what, 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 environments are you putting yourself in so that you can attract those types of people and who are you like are you know are you are you that person that you are trying to attract right you know right do you have those qualities that you are hoping to have in in a squad well introspection again oh my goodness (laughs) (laughs) 
so process yes it is it is a process and it's a huge part of the process so let me just tell you i giggled when you said you now work in baltimore and that god brought you to baltimore to work in this particular facility because one not too many people admit that we're from Baltimore because I'm a Baltimore city girl. <laughs> and still today, I still claim my city with all okay. the problems. Yes, you should. I have no problems claiming my city. So I was so thrilled that God brought you to Baltimore. I said, yes, okay. come on now, come on now. Uh, so what was that uh, reaction when God let you know, okay, I'm taking you to this place in this city, what kind of conversation and reaction was that, did you have with that news? So at first of all, I'm like, what am I gonna do there? <laughs> right? Like, I'm leaving New York, what am I gonna do there? Right? And, and it's funny that you, you say that um, people say certain things about Baltimore. When I moved here and I would say, yeah, I'm from New York, they were like, so why Baltimore? I'm like, why not Baltimore, right? Like, why not? There's so much life here. There's so much um, to enjoy here, so much richness here. Um, but back to my conversation with God, when that was revealed to me, it was, to be quite honest, I questioned it. Like, I really wanted to know that it was God. I questioned it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and after I felt like it was him, I'm like, wait, what's in Baltimore? Like, why Baltimore? What, what am I going to do there? And there was no answer. <laughs> there, I, was, I, I didn't know what I was going to be doing here, but I, you know, I, in literally a month. So I, I got, I felt, I got confirmation. The job where I was working in New York at the time, I told them I was leaving. And so it was retail. I was a manager in retail and it just so happened that where I was going to be moving in Baltimore, they had the exact same position, the exact position um, available. It was only one position left. It, it was available for me. So I was able to transition without losing my job. So I packed up a rental car because in New York, we don't, you know, I didn't have a car at the time. It's all subways and buses. So I packed up a rental car. I drove uh, from New York to Baltimore and just started my life here, not knowing what God was going to do here. Even, even when I, I got here, I did not know what he was going to do here at all. But the way that he has orchestrated everything, I, I am blown away. <laughs> I'm blown away by what God has done. I could not have imagined this for myself. So yeah, that was, that was essentially it. Uh, he said wow. it, I questioned a little, and I, I was just, thankfully, I'm, I'm grateful that, that I was able to, to be obedient. Um, mm -hmm him and to his call. I, it hasn't always been obedience. Right. But I'm, I'm grateful for his grace. Right. Absolutely. And so this reward has come with your obedience and the obedience has come with you taking an action step. So we talk about faith and what faith looks like. Um, I think part of it is even having the conversation with God, having yeah. the faith to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, because I think any of us that have had any experience with God knows at this point, you're not always going to get the answer in the conversation that you're having Absolutely. <laughs> that you're one expecting Absolutely. or the conversation you want. Yeah. So <laughs> 
it still requires courage in having the conversation. Absolutely. And, you know, not blocking God out or conferring with him later. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's that step. You confer <laughs> after you've taken a step. Because <laughs> surely he's going to confirm what I've already done. Yeah. <laughs> so true absolutely that is so um I, I, i've done that i've done I've, I've taken a step and said uh was that all right god what well, should i have taken that step and of course you know in that at that moment it was the wrong step and he you know of course with his yet to clean it all up but um <laughs> but yes i absolutely have done that taking the step and and consulted god god later like was that cool is that what you wanted me to do or no? Right, right. Am I in charge or not? <laughs> so you take an action step in, in obedience. And how do you how do you maintain that courage to 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 even look for those confirmation points? You know, not just um walk in, in fear and apprehension. Um how do you posture yourself to expect the very best. Um, does that make sense? Um, oh, it makes perfect sense, absolutely. And it's a really, really great question. I, so I um, look at what God has done before mm. in my life, in my mom's life, in my family's life. Mm -hmm. There have been instances where we were, we should have probably been homeless, right? We should have probably not had food on the table. I should have probably not been allowed to go to school, but he mm. always made a way. Mm. There's never, ever been a time in my life where God has not made a way. I've seen it with my parents. I saw yeah. it when I transitioned here. I saw it as I transitioned to Maryland. He has always provided, mm -hmm. even though I have to go through a low moment, Mm -hmm. there's always there's always provision in that moment for me so mm -hmm. that's what I look back on and you know sometimes we are deterred by our circumstances mm -hmm. um, we are we look at what's ahead of us and well I can say I look at what's ahead of me and do sometimes become fearful of it but I, I often have to remind myself that I, I serve a God who is bigger than whatever that thing is and right. he, he has proven himself Right. He has absolutely proven himself every single time has never failed. So why is this time any different? Right. So that's the sort of the posture that I tackle things with. Just mm -hmm. the posture, really not confidence in myself because right. it's not me who's doing it, but it's like confidence in God that He will continue to, you know, provide. Wonderful. Wonderful. Wow. So, so all this introspection in ourself, and then we figure out that they have anything to do with us. <laughs> At all. Get in line, get in line, you know, do what you got to do and get in line with God. That's and it. he will do it all. And you give him the glory and it will take you from, you know, one season of life into the next. Absolutely. And I was actually having a conversation with a friend the other day um, that God shows up in the areas where I am, where I struggle the most, right? So in the areas where I feel like I, I am not my best, he shows up in those moments and I, and, and I'm, I'm not, not the ball out of the park. 
And what the reason I believe he does that is to, to show me and prove to me that it's not me that's doing it, it's him, right? So if, if I cannot sing, just to give an example, if, I, if I'm not a great singer, but anytime I'm asked to sing, I belt out a wonderful tune, I know that there's no way that I can do that in my strength. And I need for that every single time, which is, so he, he does that so that I can go back to him and, and give him the glory. Um, because I, I struggle in that area. So absolutely, that he has absolutely shown that to me um, in multiple ways. I'm shown up in ways where I've been weak um, and shown his strength in those ways. Wonderful, wonderful. That is, that is certainly awesome. So what's next? You've had so many transitions in, and, and it seems like just a short time to me because you sound so youthful and young and, and I'm adding up the years. So I'm just not going to say anything. <laughs> but anyway, you are a young lady. <laughs> so, so what's next? <laughs> what's, what's, what's God uh, stepping you through uh, in, the, in the near future? Great question. Um, in the near future, I do want to, so I do not have um, a degree in my field at all, right? I, I have experience, I have a passion, don't have a degree. Okay. So uh, my intention is to pursue a degree in my field um, in the near future and really see what God has, has for me next. Um, you know, it, it's been, it's been an interesting year so I haven't been as active um as I actually I actually I've been a little active <laughs> in the past year but but not as active as I wanted to be so um in the near future really just pursuing a degree in my field and, and getting more knowledge because I do believe that there is you know you can there's never a cap to what I'm, I'm able to learn so I really want to just educate myself more so that I can help our consumers more um, and give them the assistance that they need more mm -hmm. Well, I, I do think there is a purpose for God bringing you to Baltimore. And um, there are those in my squad that tell me I need to run for mayor of Baltimore, which God has not told me. So I just laugh at them. So <laughs> maybe not yet. <laughs> there are, right, right. Not yet. And so um, in getting your education to correlate with your experience, you know, mm -hmm. particularly for uh, and, and I'm believing you're talking about mental health uh, yes. administration. Mm -hmm. What do you think um, your role can be in Baltimore in, in facilitating some cures, some solutions to some of their, you know, larger, larger problems in the community? Awesome question. Um, so... Being, I've only been here for six years. Oh, that's almost a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> but I, the, the consumers who come into our, our agency are not, don't have the resources or education mm -hmm. um, for, to, for, to those resources as they should. And I, I do believe that that is empowering when you're able to, when you know what you need and you know how to access what you need, okay. that can empower an individual. Hmm. So I would, I would love to be able to, and I'm not sure how yet, but I would love to be able to assist those folks in, in really educating them 
educating okay. them in the resources that they have access to, educating them. And there are times that people come in to get consent and they're not aware what an advanced mental health director is. You know, okay. they don't know what they're signing on the paper. So really empowering them and educating them on those, on the small things, and then maybe working our way up to the, to the larger things. But, but I, I do believe that that is something that is needed, uh, that, that people need to be empowered with hmm. knowledge. Mm -hmm. really. mm -hmm. so and so we know, we know some of the lacking knowledge, specifically in Baltimore, is the education system. Mm -hmm. um, it has taken some, some major hits. Um, but the kind of knowledge that you're talking about is more like, um, and I don't want to say life because that's just too vague, but um, uh, maybe it's just uh, adult resourcefulness or, or um, oh, I'm wondering if there's a, is a catchphrase. That Life skills to sort. Okay. Yes. All right. So, so being able to educate on that level. Okay. All right. Life skills. Okay. All right. So all of that in 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 concert with formal education. Yeah. Formal education meaning at least you know to the high school level, mm -hmm. um, successful high school level education is something that uh, Baltimore is uh, working for a large population. I do know as I went through the system, it was identified and it was much earlier than your years. Let's um, <laughs> just put it like that, that there was a decision point going into high school. You could, um, you either went to a school that was located around um, your community where you lived, or you applied to um, a school that you had to be accepted into based on your grades. Mm -hmm. And, um, if you did not get accepted to one of those other schools, you had to go to your zone school, the zone where you lived. And your zone schools were not the best schools. Yeah. They just took everybody that lived in the area. And so education for Baltimore has been a thing for decades. Mm -hmm. It was identified decades ago that there was a need, that there's going to be different types of students. There are going to be students that we identify can excel are ready to excel. And then there's gonna be the rest of them. And so that has been around. And I think that's unfortunate. Can I say, yeah. did it benefit me and my family to be able to go to one of the other schools and still be a public school with free mm -hmm. education? Yeah. Absolutely it did. Mm -hmm. But it also helps me to recognize that it was already an accepted concept that there's gonna be the rest of them. And who looks exactly. out for the rest of them? Exactly, what? because that exactly. level of education was not quality. And yeah. um, so... And, and I think that's a, that's a disservice to just our community as a whole. Yes, yes. Right? Like, like education should be, there should not be more than less than. Education across the board should be an even, even keel. Public right. schools, private schools, whatever it is, it should all, should all be an even, even keel. Absolutely. Um, very, very disheartening. Absolutely. And so it wasn't until I became an adult and started looking at educating my own children that I realized that that was the premise for which the schools were set up when I went through school. And so it, it, looking back, I'm like, oh my goodness, it was already a plan. 
<laughs> of separation and, and disparity as opposed to let's find a way to give them equal education, even though some students may need a different type of support. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's I think that's the only distinction that should be made, um, but that certainly was not the case. So um, we need you. Look, I'm speaking for the whole city. <laughs> we still need you. I'm still they're still my people, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I'm just gonna let you know that I am at the anticipation that I had about this being a, a, a fruitful conversation. I am just overjoyed that it did come to pass and that I feel that I am a better person having met you uh, through this conversation. Thank you so much. You have been such a great host and interviewer. Um, it's really your questions that um, were, you know, sort of allowed me to articulate those feelings. So thank you so much for having me and for this opportunity. Well, thank you. 